You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! That's right, we are back. We are back for another episode of the X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. I think we're gonna sneeze. We're gonna hold on, let's see. Let's see. I'm keeping it, I'm leaving it in. That's right. Let you know that's how that's how we roll around here. All right, we're not trying to be perfect, okay? Warts and all. Sometimes I do some editing, but we're gonna let you know. Sometimes your boy sneezes, and that's okay. Anyway, <laughs> I hope everyone's having a pretty good week. Not a great week. I don't want you to be doing too good, you know. I might be jealous of you. You're walking around with your victories, with your W's. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I hope everyone's having a great week. Uh, I have some news. You might have seen it on social media, but my other podcast slash video program last words on the pit has been canceled so i want to thank everyone over there katie my producer drew the behind the scenes tech man cat jones who got me on the show jordan olds former hosts and current co-hosts xena and katie it was a lot of fun and i did that for about a year and i got to you know work some other muscles, getting on camera. I mean, even though it's just, I'm recording at home with my, my iPhone, I was still, I was working, I was working it. Uh, so it was it was a lot of fun and, and I'm definitely sad it's, it's come to an end, but I'm in this very weird position where your boy kind of had a lot going on for a long time. And now all of a sudden, um, you know, between you and me, I don't think Bad Wolf is gonna be <clears throat> touring anytime soon at least maybe not this year or, or next few months. And that thing kind of ended. So it's like this weird time where I kind of got to go out there and, and and start doing some things, start getting busy, start, start hustling a little bit. And financially, I should probably be a little worried, but I don't know. I'm actually kind of excited by it to kind of have uh, the runway free a little bit. I mean, keep in mind, so Bad Wolves, we are putting out a record. Okay, I don't want to scare you all. We're, we're getting ready to shoot a video, doing some photos. I'm actually trying to, I'm trying to get in shape right now. You boys back out at the gym, you know, not going as, as quick as I want to, but that's all right. But no, it's, it's kind of having a little bit of a question mark for my near future in terms of how I'm going to spend my time and 
make money and earn a living. It's, it's a, I don't, I don't know as much, but it's actually kind of exciting because I feel like I can work on some projects that have been germinating in my mind and, and ideas that have been percolating. I think I'm out of, of, of interesting verbs, but so no, so it's, 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 you know, the, these times, listen, I think there's certain times, you know, you hit certain points in your life when you're like, yo, I have $8 and you're like, yo, that's a, that's a, that's a certain kind of stress. And I, I need that stressed out, thankfully. But also I don't want to dip into my savings. You know, I want to keep, I want to keep the flow, the C A S H flow. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to increase my savings, not to decrease it. So you know, but I'm on the grind and I'm kind of looking forward to it. I got, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to throw a lot of fires in the irons, whether that's doing my own recording projects or shows or maybe getting the cover band back up and running or maybe do some Vegas nerve stuff. Maybe, you know, maybe play with some other bands because uh, I, I need to get on the road. Y'all, your boy is bored. OK, and I'm not like bored. I'm just in the house like I've, I've, I've actually been getting out. Thankfully, you know, I've been, I've been doing things. All right. Seeing people. Okay. Not that I'm trying to impress you, but, <laughs> but no, no, I, I, I miss playing just, just getting the room sweating. So we're going to work on it. We're going to make it happen, but embrace, I say, embrace the, the scary yet exciting. And I know for cer certain people, a lot of people need, uh, that security, I'm not really built that way. Uh, and lucky, I have, I have a little bit of a, a cushion, but not not a, not a whole lot. But um, and I'm not just saying that because sometimes people will say shit like this to mask over how they really feel. Like they're really scared shitless, but they're like, "All right, I'm gonna go uh, put up a, a tough face." I'm not. I'm really not doing that. I actually am kind of excited. I'm. Part of me is like, "Am I like being stupid? Like, should I really be scared?" Uh, but no, but listen, it doesn't mean I don't have those moments, right? When I, um, where you go, like, what am I going to do? But if you just let that pass a little bit, then you, and you start thinking about possibilities and you're like, all right, I just need to make some calls, put out some feelers. And then you see things start coming back actually pretty quickly, but you know, I'm lucky I've, I've built a resume. I've built relationships and hopefully developed my skills. So been fun thinking about doing some streaming possibly so there's a lot of stuff you know we need to get a camera got a lot of work to do but that's okay work is fun i'm at, i'm up late now girlfriend wants to hang out i'm like yo girl can't hang out got work to do x-man i'm a day late already even though sometimes it comes out tuesday sometimes it comes out wednesday you know semi-reliable coil that's what they call me in the streets Alrighty, step into the unknown we do have a show sponsor this week. Very exciting. It's a band from San Diego. That's right. Colorado. No, California. They're called Defy the Tyrants. And we're going to play a track entitled Hiding in the Shadows.
Hiding in the Shadows by Defy the Tyrants, their brand new single. I thought that was pretty badass. Had a little bit of everything. Some metalcore, some death metal, some new metal, some gent. Got a little proggy here, here and there. Some nice solos. Really enjoyed the vocals and production on that. Nice guitar tone. I thought that was very, very cool. Anyway, these fellas have been around since 2016. They put out two EPs, one entitled Asylum in 2019 and another entitled Rest the Crown, which came out in 2017. And this is the first, I believe, of five new singles they're going to put out in 2021. They spent most of 2020 working on new material and recording. And they also have a brand new singer, Zach Salazar. Like I said, I thought the guy sounded pretty damn badass. But if you want to check the band out, you want to go to their Facebook page facebook.com backslash defy the tyrants keep mind it's with an s there is another there's defy the tyrant but we don't like them we only like defy the tyrants with an s so go over there tell them doc coil and the and the x-man sent you and support them buy their shit stream it you know the deal and um the guitar player anthony also has a really cool podcast which is called metalology metalology excuse me and it's kind of cool. I've listened to it a few times and they'll do episodes on a band on each episode and kind of do a their own little deep dive as three three metal dudes just talking about their bands. They, they did an episode on, on God Forbid and Bad Wolves and me being, you know, a very self-interested person, I, I checked it out and I enjoyed it. <laughs> so go, go check them out. Thank you to the band for sponsoring the show. If you'd like to sponsor the show, shoot me an email at the xmanpodcast at gmail.com. That's EX. Or drop my DMs on social media, and I'll probably just send you to the email anyway. But yeah, we're a little backed up, but get your slot now so you don't miss out because it's uh, it's in pretty high demand, which is cool. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. 
Alrighty then, with the business out of the way, we have, without a doubt, a very, very special show. This is a situation where I had the opportunity to speak with D. Snyder of Twisted Sister, and he is promoting an album. So he's kind of, he's out there, he's doing some shows. So this isn't, I would say, the most unique thing out there, which I would usually go against. But here's the thing. I don't know if I'll have the opportunity to speak with someone of D's caliber and historical merit ever. And I have to say this conversation was absolutely awesome. I, I, I had so much fun. He was everything I would expect him to be. And this was just, like I said, when I started the show, this is definitely not uh, the opportunities I anticipated I would get doing this show. So it was just a real, real pleasure. So listen, I, I don't, I, I need, this guy needs no introduction. Please enjoy my conversation with the legendary D Snyder. Anyway, how are you doing? What's going on? You know, these are exciting times. Uh, you know, COVID didn't stunt my creativity. It just fed it. And, um, you know, and certainly uh, it is the ins COVID and the state of the world today is the inspiration for Leave a Scar. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, these are very productive and creative times for me. Well, that's I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I, I, I just want to know what the secret is, right? You look fantastic, okay? <laughs> are you, like, what are you, what kind of juices are you utilizing? What kind of creams and cleansers do I need to pick up? You know? <laughs> moisturize, moisturizer. You, know, you, had to, you need to moisturize people. Uh, you know, I, I, I've i lived a very, um, uh, what's right? Well, you know, uh, uh, clean, I mean, no drugs, no alcohol. Uh, you know, I've always been into working out and staying fit and, uh, and, you know, and eating relatively right. And I'm not, you know, I'm not like a vegan or, you know, kind of fanatical. It's just like a, it's like a lifestyle choice. That all said, um, I kind of threw all that out the window in 2019 when I decided quietly that I was retiring. I figured it was time. I wanted to sing. I want a carb instead of I want to rock. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not. So uh, fortunately, I'm benefiting from years of commitment. There's a lot of juices in there during those years. I mean, I think it was a decade where I woke up every day with like a half gallon of vegetable fruit juice and powders that I used to drink before, like I left the house, like a half gallon. Had that was peeing all day, uh, so uh, but uh, but I don't do that anymore. <laughs> well, so I, I have to uh, just speak to the connection a little bit with myself and and you and Twisted Sister. So 
when I was a kid, I mean, really young. All right. I remember the first like music I really got into was like Michael Jackson and like Prince, stuff like that, you know, like five, six, seven years old. But even before that, even before I was in like got into metal or anything, for some reason, I was like, seriously, when I was five years old, I loved Twisted Sister. It made no sense. I don't know what was it. Maybe it was the look. I don't know something about Look, it. This is going on today. There is this rash of children who are obsessed with twisted videos, dressing as me for Halloween. I mean, it's it's crazy. And I only could think that they think I'm a Muppet. They think I'm like Sweetums <laughs> from the Muppet Show. You know that, that that you know the hair and everything. I don't I don't know what it is, but but yeah, you're you're not you maybe were the one of the first, but it's still going on. I don't I don't understand. Well, no, but it's fascinating because i didn't really get into rock and metal until i was like 12 13 you know discover guitar guns and roses and but there was something there that spoke to kind of the the heart of it and also i'm i'm a jersey guy so i feel like there's this northeast connection even though i know some of the band was from jersey and so and you guys were kind of based in long island i feel that there's like connection i don't know yeah you know what you can uh, you can always call us a jersey band uh, because I mean, it was, it was practically our home and the original band, uh, four of the original guys were from New Jersey. Uh, and JJ was the only one from Manhattan. JJ is the only, uh, founding member, so to speak of the band. And now everybody's from Long Island and the Bronx and New York and Staten Island. Uh, but you know, Jersey, Connecticut, Long Island, New York, they, that was our that was our backyard. That was our stomping grounds. It's, it kept us alive and we thrived there, you know? Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. So I was watching the, the documentary, the band documentary, we are fucking twisted sister last night. I only made it. I was up to like four in the morning. I was like, I need to just absorb myself in, in some of the history. I loved it because it was so detailed, especially about the time period before the band really became an international national sensation because i think it's so emblematic of the era which was rock and roll was very blue collar right yeah um and you guys grinded about as hard um as i've heard about and the thing is it's, it's there's a history in that rock and roll right that's what the beatles did in hamburg that's yep. what van halen did but they were doing it on the west coast that's what pantera did they were a cover band people forget how how many covers metallica did that was kind of a a common thing if if you wanted to work i mean is that something just in terms of work ethic and understanding what it takes to be great is that something that, that has kind of instilled with you in in, the, in your whole career you know I mean, yeah, I, you could definitely say that. And, and, and there are people who along the way who said, well, we never went down that route route of, uh, you know, of, of doing the club thing and playing covers, but then in the same breath, they'll say, how did you get so good at handling a crowd? Where'd you learn to do that? I said, well, you know, Memorial day weekend at the Jersey shore for $1 beer night, you really learn how to handle a crowd or die. So, you know, I mean, so it allowed us to, uh, to practice our craft, you know, doing covers, there's also an education in that, you know, we were taking you when you're a guitar player and you're taking out Randy, Randy Rhodes, guitar solos for, because you're covering uh, Mr. Crowley and crazy train that only enhances your playing abilities for me to sing Zeppelin and sing Van Halen and sing priest and sing all these songs. 
train, helped me train my voice. So when it came time to cross over and, you know, and rather than working a day job, we were playing rock and roll. We were having fun, you know? So, uh, you know, it, it definitely, but we, but it was also demanding. We were doing five nights a week, two, three, four sets a night. It was grueling. And that also prepared you for the, for the big, you know, for the big game. Yeah. And it, it seems so of the time, especially you're dealing with uh, mid seventies, late seventies, where you guys talked about it in a very competitive light, right? Like it was like kill or be killed. If you're not the best band, if you're not really kicking ass, then you're not, maybe you're not going to get the gig. You're not going to get the residency. And then you guys are, are starving, but it kind of reminded me and that, and that's how it lended into the, uh, the imagery, right? Like you guys wanted to grab people's attention. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me, uh, was kiss kind of concurrent with what you guys are doing? Well, they were concurrent, but they took off well before us. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Twisted Sister formed in 1973. Uh, I, I joined in 76. It was inspired by the New York Dolls. They wanted to be a glitter, a glitter rock band like the early 70s glitter rock bands. Um, Kiss was born around that same time. Uh, prior to Twisted Sister, the band that J.J. French was in for a very short time, like a month, was called Wicked Lester. Wicked Lester was Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. Mm. Uh, that was their band. J.J. moved on, joined Twisted Sister. Gene and Paul brought in Ace and Peter and changed the band to Kiss. So Twisted Sister started in 73. Kiss starts in 73. But Kiss's trajectory, uh, much to J.J.'s frustration, because he was friends with these guys, you know, and then, you know, every now and then Ace would come down to a show or, or whatever off the big tour, and here we were still slogging it out in the pubs and clubs. So, um, you know, so there, there, there is definitely a connection, and we're both, you know, New York Dolls, Alice Cooper inspired originally, and uh, but they've, you know, they've had a, a blessed for them. They've had a very long and illustrious career. Yeah, but there's one kind of through line I kind of realized just even thinking this, and this came to me today, is that both bands were really, to some degree, like shock rock, not maybe to the degree of an Alice Cooper, but do doing shocking visually things visually but the guys at the forefront of each band were kind of sober guys business oriented guys it was almost this um dichotomy between knowing on one hand what you have to had to do to get attention or make the band work but also be kind of have your head on straight and be able to handle all the, the business side of things it was kind of fascinating that both bands had these similar ideas but also had this similar kind of business makeup it was kind of fascinating to me that's i mean it's uh interesting observation and yeah uh, jj and myself were both clean and sober jj was managing things in the early days he's still managing it today we eventually brought in a manager during the heyday uh and um you know and i was do writing all the songs coming up with all the ideas along with my wife suzette who was there since day one uh, started doing the costumes and makeup and hair and the logo our art. You know, we had this little very and she's straight edge as well. It wasn't called straight edge back then, but um, yeah. And it it allowed you to you know to be more focused on on what the mission was. You know, you talked earlier about the competition within the clubs, but to us that was just like how can you expect to make it to the big time if you can't even dominate 
this little club scene. Like you've got to be in order to be one of the best in the, in the world, you've got to be the best here first. So we never saw ourselves as a bar band. I, even though we were, you know, one of my people used to say when, from the earliest days, okay, we, I joined the band. Uh, nobody's coming to see us. Uh, seven people the first night we played and we have barricades in front of the stage that say, keep back barricades. <laughs> of course, those seven people immediately went up to the barricade to see what was going on, but it was a, it was psychological. It was also the way we viewed ourselves. I never left the dressing room. I would get there early and I would, until I go on, I hang out in the dressing room and go on stage dressing room, stage, dressing room, and leave after, and sneak out because you don't see the stars walking around the arenas. To me, it wasn't a bar. I was in an arena. And mind you, those dressing rooms in the very early days, they were bathrooms. So I was sitting or by a toilet for the entire night, just like sitting, in a sitting waiting, waiting for the set because this is, this is the mindset. The pictures you see me from the earliest days, I'm always pointing up. And people go, what are you pointing at? Nobody's here. And I go top row of the arena. In my mind, I was not in a bar. I was already mentally, this is where I'm going. And I'm, I want those people in the top row to know that I see them because I used to sit in that top row. So anyway, it, it, was a, it, it was a philosophy, a way of thinking. And I just want to add one more thing in that people think, oh, so it's an act. Uh, me and Mick Foley wrestler if you know mick foley we uh, had breakfast recently and just were talking about this subject because we both we're, we're wild men in the ring or on the stage but in our private lives uh we're smart we're family men we're um where we do a lot of charity work and we're like very decent people we're decent and and people think oh it's an act no it's a coin with two faces you can't split that coin apart it doesn't exist without both sides. And because we are as well adjusted and as well as smart and together as we are off stage and out of the ring, because we're that wild when we perform, it allows us to be better people because we get that out with our other side. Yeah. I mean, I, that is, that is interesting. It's um, and, and just even knowing what I know about you, just being a, a generally grounded person, having, you know, the same wife for X amount of time being, you know, uh, I was watching some of the, the PRC stuff and talk about your religion and, and, and things like that, just being very grounded. It's so, you know, I'm in, in, in many ways, I think personally, I just have a lot of affinity for rock and roll lore, but really the, the seediest versions of it. Right. I tend to kind of this idea of the, the you know the drugs and the women and and all that stuff <laughs> you're you're in the vast majority you know it's it people want and that's what was a disappointment to me was that people want lifestylers yeah. uh, they want you to be as uh, if not as it more fucked up off stage they than they than you are on stage they they want that and i was to me i thought it was all about leaving it on the stage when i would in the day i mean i would crawl to my bunk and the next in the morning, I crawl to a tub and soak because I'm in my 20s and my body is aching because I'm pushing so hard every night. I didn't have it in me to go out and party afterwards. I just was uh, just collapsed. And uh, people were disappointed in that. You know, my book, uh, Shut Up and Give Me the Mic, my memoirs, sold shit. 
And why? I know no sex, drugs, and no sex or drugs in there. I'm not telling you about me and my wife. Didn't get high. Didn't drink. And it's it's actually more almost motivational. My book and there's some great stories. But people want you know they want they want heroin addicts who somehow remembered and took notes of their heroin experiences. By the way, heroin addicts can't find their dick let alone a pencil. Okay. I lived with a heroin addict and his idea that heroin addicts are, and that, and then I, they pulled me out of the dumpster. No, somebody told you afterwards. Anyway, be as it may, you're not alone. People want lifestylers. Well, I, well, I think just in general, the, the history of these art forms and, and then not even just music, right. Where we're talking comedians or actors or writers is this idea of the tortured artist, right. And that it, that usually a lot of broken people emotionally end up kind of achieving these kind of heights of openness. And that is somehow kind of added to or developed through this, especially, you know, you've gone to basically from the fifties to the eighties, you know, that was that evolution, right. Into the psychedelic era. And- yeah, man, no, you're right. And, and the thing is that that's why it shocks me when people are stunned to find out that a creative has a dark side like why do you think we're creatives in the first place because we're effed up <laughs> if, you know, my dad used to say you know i was tough on you but if i wasn't so tough on you you wouldn't be the success you are and i said to him dad how do you know i wouldn't be happier as a well-adjusted accountant <laughs> like no mental scars no emotional scars no we're not going to take it no be against the world just sitting at my desk and crunching numbers and going home to my lovely family and being happy. You don't know that you can't take credit for fucking me up, but you know, so people don't be so shocked to find out that Marilyn Manson is a sexual predator. That's a surprise. That's, I mean, if anything wasn't a shock, I mean, that's what he's portraying pretty much. Um, You know, and I'm, and I'm, I know Marilyn and I'm friends with him, but he's saying, don't judge so harshly. We're creatives. We're damaged. That's why Picasso did what he did. That's why Michelangelo did what he did and Beethoven and Bach. We were damaged. We yeah. were driven to, to be creative to, as an outlet for these things. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with JJ uh, because it seems watching the documentary that there's a consistent tension between you almost feeling like you were never almost given that kind of runway for it to feel like it was your band. Like was that, that push and pull over whose band it is, who's getting the attention, who's controlling things, who's on the the, the business end, end of that. Um, I mean, is that something that still kind of permeates to this day in terms of like having that, uh, that tension or that, that thing that, that it feels like it just wasn't, totally the way you wanted it to be? Uh, No, I mean, me and the band are all friends and we've grown and matured and, and come to appreciate and respect each other and what have you. But in the early days of the band, I was the youngest. I was the rube, uh, the the suburban kid uh, hanging out with city, older city guys who were cooler than me, who, you know, who were at the Fillmore and they're at the Coventry and saw, you know, the New York dolls at the, at the, at the place they used to play, uh, you know, and we're hanging with Bowie and all that stuff. And I was just a dork and they, 
in fairness, now I recognize they treated me like I was a dork. I was a dork. I was, I, you know, um, but it was hurtful. And I didn't feel like I was one of them. Uh, as I said in the documentary, JJ never officially told me I was in the band. He said, all right, we'll see how it works out. Uh, as actually after the seeing the documentary, JJ walked up to me and said, oh, by the way, you're in the band. Uh, because he didn't realize, you know, but that was like, had such a traumatic effect on me. Like I was on, I was on a trial basis, you know? Uh, and as I said in there, you know, the drummer who was a similar age from Long Island, another dork, uh, he, you know, uh, he got fired like a week after I, I joined the band. Um, so, I mean, I had this feeling like I was on, again, I was being tried out. And I, then I got a great frustration that I didn't feel like I could, I was a part of their cool clique. Eddie and, Jay, and JJ went to school together. Uh, the original drummer that I played with, uh, Tony and, and JJ knew each other from another situation. So they were like, and uh, the original bass player was from the original Twisted Sister. So I just felt like an outcast. So what it created was, um, did recreate an animosity. Uh, I got great inspiration out of the, I will show you. JJ was just became another name on the list. I will show dad. I will show JJ. I will show everybody that, you know, that I am somebody, you know, and uh, hey, it worked. Well, no, listen, just... As I'm, I'm someone who's been in many bands in a band now, and you get, you know, when I started out, everything was very much, especially when you start that like high school band, like all for one, one for all, very, it, the, the friendships and relationships uh, outweigh the business side of it. And then you get older and you get into more serious situations and business becomes a bigger thing. And it creates, like I said, that it just, it just seemed like with JJ, he was very much, business business you know it, it, it to some degree almost felt cold you know like where he was very much in that mindset of like we have to make money i'm i run the show it, it was yeah yeah it, it, it was it was his band when i joined it was his band you know uh, he still to this day he owns the na- rights to the name uh you know i mean I know that if I wanted to, I could take that name because uh, by law, I'm, I'm grandfathered. He, te- he, didn't, he didn't actually register the name until like years after the band had been formed. So, but I never, I never argued that point. Look, I'm not going to take the Twisted Sister name. It's not Twisted Sister without the guys. Yeah. So I've never even had that position and that shouldn't even be an issue. Um, but yeah, you know, he, he had his own mission. Uh, he had been in a band of fuck-ups, drunks, yeah. alcoholics, druggies who thought that playing in the bar circuit uh, in the new tri-state area, that that was having arrived. They thought there were stars already. Oh. And he wanted kindred spirits who, who um, like that guy in the Mark hit in the, uh, in the documentary, he says it was a velvet noose. You could make a lot of money uh, in the circuit and feel like you were a success. You had packed places, a thousand, two thousand people. You were putting five hundred bucks cash in your pocket a week in the seventies at twenty something. I did the math in my book. It's like getting three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year salary. I mean, so you had guys in bar bands driving Corvettes, Mercedes, buying houses in a bar band. You know, like like that's the kind of money you were making, and it could fool you. But JJ wasn't fooled. And I wasn't fooled. And, he, and so we, could, we bonded on that level that I was clean and I was sober and I was very serious, you know, pointing to, to the top row all the time every night because I was not going to 
this was not the finish line being in a packed club. Yeah, it's funny. I, it made me also think about, uh, you know, the band Five Finger Death Punch? Yes, I do. Their guitar player, Zoltan, is also the business guy, the sober guy, like run and, and, you know, those people that kind of have that mentality and are, and kind of can see the vision, you know, can really have these extended careers and manage other bands. It's just kind of, it's fascinating seeing all the, and, all the and to your, and to your point, you know, in the beginning of all band, every band starts out with that one for one, all for one, one for all mentality. And when business does come in there and money, comes in there that's when things get weird so twisted sister for many years was very much the five of us against the world and i'm writing songs and stuff like that but i'm not thinking oh this is uh this is this is gonna there's gold in this or money in this it just somebody needed to write the songs and i just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and created and created and jj made the connected the dots i made sure you know so it was it was a band vibe but then success comes Money comes, attention starts to hyper focus on certain people, you know, and the band, and uh, suddenly the dynamics change, and then real issues start. Let's talk about the success a little bit because it seems like you guys are just in the trenches for so long. And oh, yeah. so by the time, and it was, and it's fascinating because in a sense, you were part of that first wave of what was characterized as glam or, you know, how, you know, whatever you want to call it, hair metal, but you were essentially veterans by that, even by the point where you actually broke out because you've been playing so long, you've been, you've been grinding. I mean, how did it feel? Cause you said you always saw it even before it happened, you envisioned it and you, you, you saw yourself being there when it did happen and you did get the big hits and the platinum records and playing the arenas. I mean, did it, did you actually feel the success you did? Did it, did it all of a sudden all come together and go, Hey, I, I've arrived. Well, certainly there was that, uh, that moment and feeling that you had broken through and you, you know, you have arrived, but um, it wasn't as satisfying uh, and enjoyable as I would hope it would have been because we had been doing it for so long. Wow. The band had been around 10 years, 73 and broke in England in 83. Uh, so I joined in 76. So it was eight years. And by the time we broke, we had already played. Um, we had done a, a outdoor a concert event, free concert. It was free. Um, uh, this uh, amusement park was having like a weekly free concert. We were getting four or 500 people uh, a night, you know, each week. 23,000 showed up to see Twisted Sister. And Kiss was playing to half a house at the garden that night. So thank God they were playing because it really would have been all out of control. Um, so we did uh, opened up for Judas Priest. We opened up for different um, national acts in theater shows at arenas. Um, so it was a long time. We arrived, but okay, arenas, theaters. We had been this. Uh, uh, we did our first demo in Electric Lady Studios. So uh, there was nothing... You know, the idea like you, you you form a band and somebody discovers you in your basement and then you become rock stars. That's the dream. It's not, okay, I'm going to be doing this for 10 years until, until, until they finally can't say no anymore. And they go, okay, you can come in. And that's what it felt like. So it was, it was um, certainly satisfying. We had earned it. And, uh, but, uh, but it was a long, long road. And, you know, and 
and it's and 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 it's a bit I don't say it's not a letdown it's just it was more like uh it's about time you know, yeah. like, like, you know, like we're, we're like 12 months pregnant. The baby's head is hanging out. I mean, Jesus, let us give birth already. My God. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of that one time on tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Yeah, you, you hear that a lot in sports when someone wins the championship. It's more relief than it is elation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's a very good description of it. And, and, and it's, you know, when you speak about being part of the early, no, no, we were <laughs> the OG hair band. It wasn't called hair band. It, we, when, when, when the glitter era of the early 70s died, we kept doing it. When Kiss took their makeup off, we kept wearing it. There was no Motley Crue. There was no Cinderella or Poison. Those bands, for the most part, saw Twisted Sister and took inspiration. Not so much Motley Crue, but when I, we, we played the first time on the West Coast, Vince shows up and you know he knows all about us and very, very aware of us. We're like these legends. And you know, when we, when we broke, it was not, wasn't called hair metal. We toured with Iron Maiden. We toured with Metallica. It was just metal. We were an odd metal band, but people enjoyed Metallica's set and enjoyed our set. They, they were there for us uh, the, from 7 o'clock when we hit the stage, and they were there for, Metall for uh, Maiden screaming just as loud. It wasn't, it wasn't compartmentalized into hair metal. You know, it was just, we were just a, a, a remnant glitter band turned metal band. But but somewhere within that, you know, going into the you know late eighties into early nineties, we saw this giant seismic shift, right, into what was popular, what was kind of uh, cutting edge. Um, and I I read somewhere that you you said you went broke at some yeah. somewhere in the nineties. But it, now is that directly just tied to hey, the style of music we were doing just wasn't hot anymore, or is it was it some other uh, things going on because the reason why it surprised me a little is because you are the straight-laced one. You are the kind of guy who, who kind of is, is centered. It, was it just something you were not able to kind of see coming around the bend? 
the ego that got you there in the first place that made you believe that against all odds, you will be one of the ones who makes it is the same ego that won't let you believe that it's over. So when things start turning and changing and the band starts losing popularity and then the band breaks up, you, you know, you, then my next record, my next record, and you just start borrowing against the future mm. and you borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow until they won't lend it to you anymore. And then you're in debt and you're going bankrupt and you've got no income and the royalty streams dead, dead. And then you wake up one day and the music, the, the way you sing, the way you look, the way you perform, you get the money. We're not doing that anymore. What does that mean? We're not doing that anymore. I mean, that was what grunge hit. It was like, we're not doing that. That's all I know how to do. So, you know, it, it, and you always, and in being clean and sober, I go, yeah, well, that'll never happen to me. It'll never happen to me. It happened to me. And I can't blame an accountant. I can't blame a lawyer. I can't blame a manager. I did it. Yeah. I was just so, my ego was just so big. You just would not accept that, hey, things have changed. You know what? Downscale, save your money, get rid of some of these cars and all these expenses and, you know, and just make sure the money lasts. No, you just keep going full speed ahead, even investing in your own self, like, you know, which is a big mistake. Uh, you know, to spend your own money. And then all of a sudden you realize, you know, you're broke and the scene's changed. You kind of, in in, in my estimation, became kind of, um, you know, someone to look up to in terms of being a renaissance person or in this industry where realizing that being a singer and a performer isn't your only talent, right? So you started doing radio, you were acting, you were doing voice voiceovers. Um, now, I understand a lot of this was out of necessity, but um, can you just kind of speak to what was going through your mind around that time of going, hey, I'm doing radio and I'm, guess what? I'm actually a fucking natural at this. And this is kind of cool that I can expand and not be so reliant on just doing this one thing. You know, um, people ask me about this a lot and, um, and, 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 I would love to tell them, yeah, you know, it was a grand plan. And this was a vision I had from day one. No, it, it was 10% inspiration and 90% desperation. Yeah. I had that wake up moment, married three kids. Uh, the band's done. The scene's done. I can't work. I start literally, I, I mean, I, my book, I, I talk about riding a bike to a desk job, answering phones for, you know, a hundred bucks cash a week. I mean, Ridiculous people walking in the office going, Hey, aren't you? And I'm lying and saying, No, I just look like them. And people are going, My God, it's uncanny. But they're buying it because what would these Snyder? This was, you're talking about, uh, you know, the band broke up in 87 and this is like 1991 and I'm at a desk job, you know, um, I'm flyering cars and parking lots for my wife to do hair and makeup for weddings and being chased by security out of those parking lots. And I'm running not for fear of going to parking lot jail uh but the fear that they're going to recognize me and go what are you doing putting flyers on cars but that's we were and i was in i was in dire straits so at that point i go what else can i do and um i had you know first of all there's opportunities and people say i never get opportunities no you're not paying attention you're not taking them people are offered opportunities and choices every day we just have blinders on. So someone had said, wow, you know, you got a really good voice. You should do voiceover. So I said, okay, I'll do that. But guess what? 
I had to refine my, my um, accent and I had to go out and audition. And I hit the pavement, auditioning, auditioning, auditioning until I developed a voiceover talent and voiceover career. Radio. I love radio. I wanted to do radio. And I said, I'd like to do some radio. They go, yeah, well, you don't walk into a six-figure career. I'm a six-figure guy now. I've been doing radio over 25 years. I started with a metal show on at a little station, 10 to midnight, Sunday nights, doing it all myself for a buck 380 an hour. Uh, it cost me more in gas to get to the radio station, but I had to learn the craft yeah. and acting and writing. And I started, I, I wrote the twisted videos. They were just verbalized things in my head. I started studying screenplay writing and I've been writing now for over 30 years. And now I've done multiple screenplays. I'll be directing a new one. I wrote, I've just finished my first fictional novel. So I, I just, but it was like, what else could I possibly do to make money to feed my family? It was more desperation than, than it was being inspired. I mean, were you able to kind of get to a point because obviously the band came back. There's luckily these things go in, in cycles, right? What was not cool for 10 years becomes cool again. Uh, the band could exist. You, you as a solo artist, the, these things, I mean, have you gotten to a place now essentially where you can, you're at kind of cruising altitude and you can kind of do what you want and not uh, lean as much on the desperation side of things? I definitely can. And, you know, and, and, and people, don't worry, D. Snyder is back. I got a beautiful home <laughs> on the ocean in the Caribbean. I got a beautiful home in L.A. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. Uh, but um, I, to be honest, um, it was so traumatic yeah. to lose everything, to be faced with that pre precipice, you know, that, that cliff, I should say, of uh, the danger of falling over and going bankrupt twice and having children, the responsible, I sort of, I can't let up. I just keep going, going, going. And I know that there's a lot of fear in that. Yeah. Even though I love the creativity, I've just uh, cre co-created a, uh, a kid's animated series, which is over a peacock being developed. I told you I just wrote my first fictional novel. I've got this movie I'm directing. Uh, I know I've been a part of a new Broadway production that's being put together. I just did a new album. Uh, I do my radio show for 25 years. I do voice. I'm the voice of uh, Breaking the Band, the series that uh, that I, I've been voicing that uh, show. So I'm just and I, I just can't say no. I have the phone rings and say, hey, do you want? I'm like, OK, OK, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. So that's really just it's all about leaving a scar. My new album. I am scarred by that 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 experience of losing everything and not having a game plan and exit strategy strategy i've just said i'm gonna be a rock star and i'll live happily ever after well it doesn't always work out like that yeah well i can identify with a lot <laughs> what you're saying right now good <laughs> i mean not good i'm sorry i'm sorry but no, but no. Be better to take uh, you know the, you know I, to be a person who says okay i'm gonna do what i gotta do well, listen, this. but I, I'd say in in many cases, though, I think you have to be grateful for the fact that you are talented in many other areas and you can expand. Not every rocker can do voiceover, can do radio, can write scripts, you know. But I have to say, you, you know, I mean, a lot of it is it. You ever hear the, there's a book uh, about 10,000 hours to master yeah, yeah, anything. Hours. Yeah. And, you know, and it it, it, it there's. It's kind of true. I mean, I'm really hitting my stride as a writer. My screenplays are like lethal weapons and people are hiring me now to write things for them. And my, my book, which 
you know, I'm looking for a publisher, but, but I wrote my own autobiography. I'm eloquent. I can write, I can, you know, I'm, I'm good, but that took decades to develop that talent. You know what I mean? Just like it took decades to develop my songwriting talent, uh, not decades, but years, um, you know, so, and the radio thing. Yeah. I'm really good announcer. I'm really great. People go, Oh my God, you, you know, you're a natural here. I wasn't so natural when I first started, I had the desire to do it, but you have to like any craft, just because you're a football player doesn't mean you can, you can be a rock star. And just because you're a rock star doesn't mean, Oh, I'm a rock star. I can go out onto a football field and play football. No, they're two different. You may have a, you may have a, a innate ability. You may be athletic, but um, it doesn't mean you could just go out there and strap on the pads and, and get in the game. You've got to master the craft. Yeah. Um, speaking of your eloquence, uh, we, we, we definitely have to talk about the PMRC thing because it's something I think in some ways maybe as a public figure outshines the music to, to some degree because that story was in a sense bigger than, than rock and roll, right? This is a giant political story talking about censorship. You're absolutely right. Um, what, uh, I mean, do you feel the same way about that? Because I have my own thoughts about it um, in perspective. And right now, right, there's all these... Uh, debates in the public sphere about current censorship, right? And, 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 and things like that. Do you feel the same way you felt then? Or do you have a different kind of perspective on it, given how things have changed the years? I am really proud of the fact that everything that I said and uh, that, I, that I stood for back in 1985 when I testified before Senate, um, I have lived every word, still stand for, and I'm not changed one I've I say not changed. I've certainly grown. I'm a better man. I was I was a I was an asshole in the eighties. Uh, I am not now. Okay, so I mean I have grown, but I but I but I still stand for the same things I always stood for. I could go back and testify again and show how you know I used the record Stan uh, with uh, the the Eminem record with Stan on it to have to have a conversation with my child about suicide and became an Eminem fan in the, in the, in the listening, by the way, uh, how, when it came time, my daughter want, was seven and loved the tenacious D record. Uh, I burned my own CD for her without fucker gently and cock pushups. Uh, so because the rest of the record she could listen to, that is a parent taking control of, of the situation with their children, not asking the government to babysit for them. So I stand for those. I, I, I've lived those things. Now, the censorship thing. Censorship is a constant. Uh, there will always be somebody trying to stop somebody from saying or doing something. Uh, but it's interestingly gone from being a conservative, more puritanical movement in the 80s during the Reagan era uh, to the pendulum has swung, and it is very much a, uh, a left socially conscious censorship that they don't think is censorship realizing it is censorship in its own way telling people you can't say that you can't say that that hurts people's feelings that's offensive that's this that that's censor that's censoring so um now of course you know with freedom of speech comes responsibility i get that of course but here i was you know i'm working on my new album uh leave a scar uh which will be out uh, July 30th and pre-orders now at napalmrecordsamerica.com backslash D Snyder. Yeah. And I found a voice in my head going, Oh, people might be offended by those, that word, those words. And 
I was really upset that um, metaphor is 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 essential tool for any writer, and the fact a, a writer a creative should not be checking himself. Let the lawyers do that uh, when he's doing in the creative process. He should just be creating, and then other people can tell him, "Dude, you got to reel that in." Um, you know, you got to you got to reel. It's it's too insane. But here I was. I was writing a song called "In for the Kill." And the line is in for a kill, fire at will. And here's a death reference, a murder reference, and a gun reference. Now, the song itself is about that moment in your life when you've worked for this moment and now's your time to go for it. Your time is that you, you, you've, you're prepared, now's your time. And But I use those, meta, those metaphors that are not really acceptable right now people would they don't want you to use a gun reference or a murder reference or a death reference uh the big voice told the little voice to shut the fuck up uh but the same just the idea that i was aware during the creative process that's fucked up that's a that's that's not good well listen i i have a lot of feelings on this but i think it actually if you really look look at it, because what they wanted was a rating system, right? So if I go right. I'm to movies tonight. You're back to the 80s. Yeah, but I'm going to movies tonight, and it's PG-13 or whatever. That's the movie. So it's just – so ultimately, I think those things, it seems like it hurts you, but it helps you, right? So when they actually came out with the, the, the parental advisory sticker, like that was a badge of honor in the 90s. That's how you knew the record was good. <laughs> All right, but here's the here's the downside. This was my concern. It wasn't a matter of educating people. There was a big question as to who could decide with a movie. It's a little more black and white or technicolor as to what the, the, the there's pictures going with the words. So you, you really can't argue with what's happening with song lyrics. It's metaphorical. Yeah. And here I was defending a song called Under the Blade that they were saying was about sadomasochism and bondage. They were just wrong. Like they were completely mischaracterizing the, the, the right. So that was the, that was the issue with the rating system on lyrics is that who's going to decide the intent of the words of the writer and of the artist. But beyond that, the bigger problem, a bigger concern was that they, it would be used to keep people from accessing music. And it was, it was, there were stores that wouldn't rack the albums. There were stores that wouldn't carry the stickered albums. And there were stores like Best Buy and, Wal and, uh, and Walmart that were demanding record companies make censored, edited versions that you, the buyer, did not know. The Strangeland soundcheck that you bought in, that, that you bought in Best Buy had the song Fuck Off by Kid Rock removed. And other, other pr profanity on the record had that flip thing where they, they do that blur thing in the middle of the song. Mm -hmm. So, but they didn't say on it, this is an edited version. It sold adults or, or teenagers edited things that they decided they shouldn't get to hear. And when you go to the movie rating system, I wanted Strangeland. The original edited Strangeland was an X film. I want it rated P, whatever they, whatever the term is. Uh, it's, uh, the, it's not called the X anymore. It's called NC-17. Uh, and my, my producer said, D, when have you seen an NC-17 movie in a multiplex? And I said, I looked around and said, there aren't. He goes, no, no, no. They won't carry NC-17. You have to make it an R. So that's when 
the rating system fails if a movie isn't even being if the tech if, if the art isn't even being allowed for the public to know it's available if it's being taken from them by somebody saying you're not going to see this because i won't allow you to see it yeah that's when it really gets fucked up gotcha all right see that topic me and you probably could do a whole hour on because I, I love it but we got to talk about this new album before I, I let you go um the last album uh for love of metal awesome i so i'm I'm tight with Jamie. I actually wrote a couple songs for Jamie's solo record. And I'm kind of mad I didn't get to send any tracks in for your stuff because it's just, it's right up my alley. Uh, it's so exciting to hear your voice on a different style of metal, a little more harder edge, a little more technical. I love the production on it. Um, what has Jamie been just in terms of like the the engine? How is it? How is it? that relationship kind of manifested. Well, Jamie was a friend and I knew him from Haybreed, but I didn't know that he had any, I mean, I saw him as a host of MTV, uh, a headbangers ball, you know, uh, I knew he was a smart guy. Uh, I, I liked his band, but I didn't really know that he had talents beyond that. When he challenged me on his podcast to do a true metal record, a uh, uh, contemporary, not true. Because Jamie appreciates and accepts all forms of metal like I do, acknowledges them all. You don't have to like them all, but you just recognize it's part of the family. You know, you always have that family member that you're not really proud of, but he's still part of your family. So, um, so he's, you know, and I, I didn't, I, here's this hate breed guy telling me he's going to produce an album for me. And who's going to write the music? He said, everybody is going to write the music. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I accept the challenge. Um, but it really was a trust fall on my part because I really didn't know. And true to his word, I mean, people came out of the woodwork for the love of metal, as you know, Howard Jones and Mark Morton and people from Disturbed and Ollie from All the Remains and Joel Grind and all these people stepped up and were submitting ideas and riffs. And and Jamie, I call him my Sherpa. He was, you know, he was like he was he was just like just selecting. Okay, this 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 put these together, fix this, change this, and he showed me that I had a place and where my place was. And as a fan of contemporary metal, my kids have kept me very connected to it all through the years. Uh, I was just so happy to have found a place where my, I was appreciated because I love it. I'm a day one. I'm the J he calls the OGD. I am. I'm the day one guy who bought the first Sabbath when it came out first Zeppelin. It came out first blue cheer when it came out, it was called hard rock. And we were, and it was like, and it was those of us who chose Grand Funk Railroad over on time. I remember that album that came out day one. We chose this heavier, more aggressive music as our voice. So I really want, didn't want to leave the community in the 90s, but I felt there wasn't a place. Jamie showed me that place. Coming back to this record, now I knew my place. Now I knew what D Snyder is in the 2020s. And I knew my band, who my band was and who my team was. And by the way, doc, I've never, um, I've never used the same producer two records in a, a row. I didn't think for a second, if I do another album, it's going to be Jasta. It's going to be Nikki Belmore. It's going to be Charlie Belmore. It's going to be my band. You know, we're going to go back there and do it again. Well, it's called leave a scar. We have a couple tracks out. You did this one with, um, Corpse Grinder from Cannibal Corpse uh, that everyone's talking about. I'm just, uh, listen, 
this is this has been a, a real treat. Like I said, I feel like I could talk to you all day. Oh, we're gonna talk some more. You got uh, we we got another five minutes. Or so, you got another so. five five minutes. Yeah, because I want to address that. I want to address that because the corpse grinder thing. That was my idea. I'm proud to say, OGD. Okay, <laughs> OGD. Because I do respect and appreciate all these bands. But it was a very funny moment in the studio because I had just done a take. And, 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 and Time to Choose was actually a, was written after the album as a bonus track, but wound up making it to the forefront you know, of, of the record. But um, I did a, a, tr- a take and I said, hey, you know be great on this? George Fisher. And Jamie goes, Corpse Grinder Fisher? Like, I couldn't mean, possibly mean Corpse Grinder. I must know a different George Fisher from another band because I said, yeah, fucking Corpse Grinder. And he goes, OGD, man. He goes, you're always getting, he says, I, I can't believe that you are suggesting this. He says, I think the idea is great. He goes, but no one from your world even like acknowledges death metal singing. It's almost looked down on as a joke from the classic metal community. It's, you, you know, there's no real respect or appreciation. I said, I, I, it has its place. I respect what it does. And it's, I think here's a unique opportunity for the two of us to come together. And I didn't realize how momentous that was. Again, I didn't know that nobody's done that. And Napalm freaked out. They go, this is amazing. You know, and, and the reaction is, you said people are talking about it. And, I, and, you know, it's a shame. It's a shame that we aren't more welcoming to each other and respectful and appreciate appreciative of the different types of metal out there i for one am and i've always been a champion of all forms of metal well you are a true inspiration to me as someone who is a musician but is expanding and doing things like this and broadcasting spaces and hosting and writing um i really look up to you and and i i couldn't be happier uh that you took your time to be a guest on this show this has been truly incredible and i just wish you all the luck in the world with the album and you know touring and all your ventures and everything and you just i really appreciate it. thank you so much for being on the show i appreciate it and i'm really glad that you're paying attention i'm glad that you're taking learning lessons just as another very inspirational person who yeah i mean i haven't gone down the route of just a pasta yet deep <laughs> pasta but i do have my own coffee coming out i've got my own pancake my own hamburger and grill them all i mean but uh branding 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 uh is you know but you know i i i, I don't know how many musicians and, and by the way, a lot of them, I've literally grabbed by the shoulders back in the 2000s when I was doing radio and I, would, I was doing mornings and I would interview bands. And when Mike was off, I grabbed my say, dudes, <laughs> you've got to parlay what you got going on. And they're like, what do you mean, man? We're, do, we're happening. We're happening. I said, that's what I thought. You know, the, 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 the percentage of artists that are the Aussies and the Eric Clapton's and the Stones, they're 0.000001%. The life lifers. I mean, they, we can be lifers musically, but we have a career doing it. Most of us have a moment. Yeah. A year, two years, three years, five years, if you're lucky. And then you got to find something else to do. And whether it was um, uh, Evan Seinfeld from, uh, from Biohazard, who thanks me for that shake of the shoulders. Uh, he went into pornography, uh, but he's found, become, uh, he made, he took the energy that was happening for biohazard and turned it into something else. The guys from Lit, 
uh, those Jeremy and and uh, the Popoff brothers. Uh, I shook him like this, and 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 he's got his own restaurant and club in Anaheim, and he's opened other businesses. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's so great. I mean, the Guster, one of the guys from Guster, he shook him, and he started an environment company that that anyway, it, it gotta do. Turns out in this life that it's not just very rarely is it just like I'm gonna do this and that's it. No, it's probably gonna be you have to find a bunch of things that you can do to make it all happen, come together, and and find success and have a have a great life. So good for you for paying attention. And that was a virtual shaking to all you viewers right there. Uncle D just told you, you know, parlay whatever you got going on. It may not be forever, my brother and sister. You have to you have to use that energy and. Go to the next thing. Well, you heard it here first. The uh, the professor, the, yes. uh, the oh, was it OGD? The OGD, as Jamie calls me, OGD. <laughs> He's laying it down for you. Definitely check out the new album and uh, definitely take care, brother. I appreciate it. Great talking to you, Doc. Take care.
that was Time to Choose, the new track from D. Snyder solo featuring James Corpse Grinder Fisher from Cannibal Corpse. Of course, we talked about it on the show. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. D, what a legend. All right. I mean, what a pro. So, you know, I, I do a lot of these. I do a lot of these, these, you know, and, and, and sometimes it's like a bit of back and forth, right? It's pretty like, okay, you know, but D, it's like you ask him a question and he gives you the exact amount of time. Like he doesn't talk too much. He doesn't talk too little. Gets to the point. Always interesting. Always informative. And what a pleasure. Uh, the the new, new material sounds great. And yeah, I'm, I'm just, it, it, it was just very exciting. So sorry if I'm a little giddy, but sometimes you have to take these moments and go, hey, pretty fucking cool. Anyway, what the hell else is going on? Yeah, I'm just trying to get my my face right and my my gut right, my arms right for this photo shoot. All right, trying to trying you know try, trying to get back. It's like crazy when you don't, you don't really lift weights for a while. I haven't worked out for real in a while. The, the body is, you know, it's in some state of repair. I'm 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 in physical therapy for my wrist and my neck, and uh, you know it's it's going well, but. It's tough stuff. You get get older. Try you try and just work on it. All right. But it's like I won't be sexy. Okay. But but like I'm at that point. I don't even know if this is just like just getting older thing. I just think it's speaks to my mentality. Like I'm just okay, just looking fucked up sometimes. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to spread that. You know, because so, some people are like about the body positivity. Like, oh, girl, it's all right to be big. You know, it's all. So like, I'm not trying to go on that route, like that route. Like I'm keeping it real. I'm like, yo, I'm looking fucked up right now and I don't care. That's not the same thing as body positivity. <laughs> it's just going like, yo, you know, I ain't, ain't my job to be sexy 24 seven. Every, every now and again, I'll get it together. But you know, sometimes I'm just out here in sweatpants, you know, some peanut butter on my damn forehead for no reason. Shirt untucked with a grease stain. Just like, yo, that's just. That's how it is sometimes. So that's what I'm putting out there. I, I haven't, I don't think my slogan is very catchy. I don't know if I'm really going to get a lot of people on my side right now because, you know, the world just doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, it's really basically, I, you know, I, I kind of realized that if you're good looking, you photograph well, basically if people want to have sex with you, you can kind of get away with almost every anything, you know, people just, they like you out the gate. Like, I just think about this. Like there's some people just have like a million Instagram followers just for being fuckable. And I'm like, yo, that's, it's like that many people want to bang you that they just, they just follow you. And it's like, I'm not, I'm guilty of, of that. I'm sure from time to time following someone like, Oh, they're pleasant to look at. You know, I'm shallow too. Okay. I'm not better than anyone, but it's just kind of fascinating. Uh, that's what kind of makes the world go around. So I'm, I, at the same time, I realize that, you know, if I got some surgery, you know, got some butt implants or something, some calf implants, you know, I'll be, I'll be coming out here, you know, and be captivating motherfuckers and, and tricking people into thinking I matter. But at the same time, I'm all about embracing being looking fucked up from time to time. So I don't know. I need, apparently I need to pick a lane. Uh, I've gone, I'm like, so not shallow. Sometimes I've gone the other way. So I don't know. I'm gonna work on that. Or not. 
We'll see. All I know is I got a video and some, some photo shoots. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get it together. All right. I'm going to look. I'm going to pull my blue steel into the camera. You know, try and sell some of these fucking records around here. All right. All right. I got my thing. Okay. Confidence. All right. You know, they say that like men apparently, like w- women are generally pretty self-conscious about their about their looks and weight and things like that i'm not saying all women. i'm just kind of making some some generalizations generalizations excuse me but men apparently rate themselves higher like we have the opposite of we have like i guess positive body or facial dysmorphia like that's why like you'll see shot ass dudes like hit on some way out of their league lady somewhere it's like dude what what are you doing you have like we know they have no shot, but in their mind they're just crushing it. So apparently, some of that set in with me. I'm just like, yeah, I'm alright. But but again, I don't care. All right, yeah, this is uh, that's some serious meandering. I don't know if you guys got anything out of that, but so that's called a rant. All right, we got a couple more finals games, NBA. We've got some Olympics games. The Olympic team ain't looking so hot. <laughs> Uh, that's it. We got we got summer. Just just trying to enjoy your summer. That's what I'm gonna do tomorrow. I think I'm gonna go out. Let me get some sun on this chest. You know, I got a little bit of that farmer's tan situation. I'm gonna sun it up. Do some walking. Do some sweating. Sweat it out. And I'm gonna figure it out. All right. I love y'all. Keep it real. We got some good shows coming up. Who we got next week? We got Ali Steele from Monuments X Monuments. He just announced he's leaving the band. Next week, the week after that, we got David Sanchez, singer, vocalist of Havoc coming up. So we got some great shows. All right. I'm excited. Y'all be good. Take care. Mom out. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The The Corner Corner of Gray Street. Street.